Welcome back to another episode of Life in the Urban City podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudak. And today I'm joined with uh, one of our supervisors. Her name is Nora Jacob with a B, not an S. I used to get that confused a lot calling you Jacobs and I always got mm-hmm. the look and like, Paul, it's Jacob. So <laughs> Nora, welcome back. I know you were here Thanks. a couple months ago talking about mm-hmm. restorative justice and what it is. So I, I think the listeners kind of know about it, but just, you know, a little introduction for those who might not know you, what you've been up to recently with RJ and the whole care team. So restorative justice is an alternative to the way of thinking that uh, is binary punishment versus uh, harm done. Mm -hmm. And it is a way of saying that when harm happens, it's the responsibility of everyone connected to that harm to try to make things right again. So it's relationship-based. It revolves around respect Mm -hmm. and the desire to um, find responsibility or accountability and then repair the harm by bringing people together or surrogates together to help with understanding and empathy building. So ultimately there is reintegration into the community or in the ideal world, reconciliation one with another directly. That's not always possible, but Mm. um, that's, that's the goal is that reconciliation or reintegration. Awesome. And um, so I know you do a lot of work on on the campuses, but you also do work in the carceral system. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing about what um, the RJ and CARE team is doing in the carceral system? Yeah, so um, we're excited because I've been in the prison system facilitating restorative circles and curriculum for, gosh, almost nine years now, um, using curriculum called Victim Offender Education Group. And uh, it's a very deep dive intensive Mm -hmm. class um, that looks at starting with people who have done major harm to others and um, like level one harms. And then um, walking them through building trust with one another and sharing the stories of what harm they did, and kind of simply, it sounds simple, but simply asking open-ended questions to draw Mm. out what happened, and then to try and connect that to what happened to them in their pasts, um, what kinds of things triggered them into that the responses they had or the actions they they carried out, the harm they did. One of the big, I don't know that I would call it a motto, but certainly a concept, is that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And some of us are more hurt than others and um, more readily um, going forward to hurt other people. So the prison work is, uh, is that and has been that for a while. But I love developing curriculum, and mm-hmm. I have rapport around restorative justice. It's um, it's a fabulous approach because um, each person tells his or her truth, and then we ask respectful questions. And so it's very much not a district attorney kind of you know, did you do this or not? Mm-hmm. More like you know, what happened? Yeah, why did you do it? It's more yeah. trying to get to the root cause. And, it is. And, and, allowing people to assess and reflective on their decision-making processes. Yes. And, and it's social emotional learning. Restorative circles are part Mm -hmm. of social emotional learning. Basically that's something that people in prison in particular haven't had the opportunity to study or to Mm -hmm. work on. And so in 2016 or 17, the state prison system went through kind of this 
ocean change. The former mission of the California Department of Corrections and Rehab was punishment. Mm. And the voters of California have been voting things uh, because the prisons are jammed with people who have had sentences uh, both great and small. And so um, voters started voting to ease those sentences, try and bring some of our family members home, and at the same time to equalize some of the racialized imbalances Mm. of what's going on in the prison system. In that process, finally, one of the last things that former Governor Jerry Brown did was to work through a process changing the mission of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation to rehabilitation and education. Mm. And in that, education can be college education, vocational education, or restorative justice, which is social-emotional education. So fast forward a few years, just about to now, and there have been more and more grants available for restorative justice groups to take their work into the prisons and to offer it. And the results are terrific. Mm. The much more much more success in um, from people going to the parole board and um, being allowed to exit the system mm-hmm. and return to the community. Do you, th- when you were doing this process, did you see a lot of interest from those in the carceral system, like inmates and stuff like that? Or was there some hesitation to join your classes when you first started? There's huge interest because it's the listening circle itself mm-hmm. in restorative practices. It's so appealing. We sit in a circle, which means that we're all equal. Mm-hmm. We call each other by our first names. That's unusual. Um, we look one another in the eye. We offer only open-ended questions. And so, and then we only respond with I statements. Those things alone, if we could, <laughs> those are nonviolent communication practices. If we could implement that throughout society, what a different world we'd have. But in there, it's especially noticeable because the power and oppression dynamics mm-hmm. are so different. And so there's a lot of interest in restorative justice classes. The one that we've introduced recently has been one on restorative parenting. And it was very popular. It was par- popular in part because we're not just talking about the family members, of uh, the children, grandchildren, and, and so on for these people, but also about who they were as children, what they experienced as mm-hmm. children. People are their own best sources of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so the restorative process brings out the wisdom that each of us has, even if it comes from negativity. It's like, I know what I don't want, mm-hmm. but I don't know how about how to go about getting what I do want. Mm-hmm. So the classes draw out that, what have you been through, sort of, you know, lightly, not, yeah. not in depth. And then talk about, here's what may work. Here are some of the practices you can do. We, we rehearse them, role play them. Um, we provide connections to resources now. The prison is providing tablets to everybody mm. who's incarcerated. Wow. So they can go looking for that information on their own. Wow, that's awesome. And, yeah. and I guess, do you, do you know like the recidivism of those who attend your classes? Is it really low? Um, does that happen often? Do you know? Don't know yet okay. because um, relatively new to Justice for Youth. I mean, two mm-hmm. years that I've been here and we're just now starting to track the recidivism rates for the people that who have been in my classes. Okay. Um, 
it's pretty strong. But for many of them, because of the nature of the harm they've done, so mm. murder, attempted murder, yeah. sexual harm, and and uh, you know, great bodily injury, because of that, um, they're in for long terms, and mm. so their departure from the system back into society doesn't happen so immediately. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I do know. Uh, thank you for that, Nora. And, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I do know you are also doing another class with one of our programs here with our uh, parenting program. Um, can you talk a little bit about that one um, and how that idea came about and what led to what we're calling restorative parenting? So help me out. Which one are you talking about? Well, uh, <laughs> I do the, a lot of them. The, the first so, CDCR yeah. grant that we received uh, okay. um, that um, you um, and Tree are RJ and Karen Tree are working. Yeah, thank you. So, so we did get a grant to take a restorative parenting curriculum into prison for sixteen weeks. Mm-hmm. Just us for youths tree program, parenting program, and restorative justice and care partnered to develop that curriculum. And then we went in together. Mm -hmm. So basically we have as uh, staffing, we have a facilitator expert, that's me, but we have the subject matter expert, which is our um, parenting tree Mm -hmm. program specialists. And so they answer the, um, the parenting questions and I keep the conversation going and mm-hmm. make sure that everybody has a chance to speak and and uh, draw out the, the things that they know from their own lives. Got it, got it. Yeah. And I know we just wrapped up our first 16 weeks, and so how does it look? What were some tentative survey results? Is this something that going in you were hesitant about? Yeah. You know what? Bringing anything new into prison is, um, is a challenge. Okay. And... People didn't know me as a parenting expert because I'm not a parenting expert, yeah. yet it was coming out of Justice for Youth, and they know me from Justice for Youth. So the results were phenomenal. Mm. Um, we did a pre-assessment and a post-assessment, and everybody had moved on sort of a scale of one to five. Yeah. Um, everybody had moved into the fours and fives out of the ones and twos. And lots of enthusiasm for the style of learning Mm -hmm. where everybody participates, they respect one another and hear one another's stories Mm -hmm. and talk in real life terms. It's, it's very not much, not a teacher student classroom with a, an expert standing up and the others sitting in rows politely silent. Um, It's, it's much more engaged and engaging than that. And so I think they liked all that, but um, one of the, the people who's, who was in that class is somebody I know from another class mm-hmm. getting ready to go to parole board later on this year. And he's so grateful, mm-hmm. so, so grateful to have done this one because it made him think about the parenting he had and then the parenting he did and what he didn't want to do again with his grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And his family is all eagerly waiting for him and Literally, um, the week after we finished the class, the tablets came. And he said, um, and he, he started to cry. He said, I'm going to see my grandchildren for real, like over the tablet this mm-hmm. weekend. And now I know how to talk to them. Like how, now I know how to think about them. Now mm-hmm. I know how to talk to them. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just that sense of like, I have a family to go back to, and now I have some tools and skills and confidence in how to be around them that doesn't 
feel like prison. It feels like a healthier world. Okay. And you mentioned something earlier. I wanted to ask a question on it. Why is it so challenging bringing programs or classes into um, the prisons? Prisons very um, mm, cautious about Mm -hmm. who they bring in. Mm -hmm. So they don't want um, groups preaching. They Mm -hmm. don't want groups being punitive. Um, So you have to be... um, you have to have solid educational backgrounds in the fields that you're working on. Yeah. You have to be reliable about showing up. Mm-hmm. You have to be comfortable being in a prison setting. Um, our setting is an art room in the back of a gymnasium, in the back of the yard, <laughs> in the back of the prison. Um, yeah. You know, and and so there it is. So um, it's very different. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a power dynamic at all. It's it's an equalizing context. Okay. So for the the difficulty, it's more on the prisons getting you in, yes, and, and having you a part of it, yes. And as you said, are do all programs request that it's, it's that equal power dynamic, or is that something unique to what justice for youth brings to the prisons? It's unique to restorative justice. Okay, it's it's not unique to every program that goes in because many of them have information they want to share. And for them, the most effective way to deliver it is for someone to speak it out mm-hmm. and like lecture based, like lecture based. Okay. Yeah. It's not our approach. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, and um, apologies if this is news um, that we got another grant to expand the teaching that the restorative teachings that mm-hmm. we're doing um, throughout the state. And so um, we've identified two or three other prisons we want to take this stuff to, and we have enough funding through this second grant Mm -hmm. that um, I want to develop a class on grief and loss Mm -hmm. and restorative practices for grief and loss because um, I'm doing something now with a group of people, prisoners in the same yard that I usually work in Mm -hmm. um, over at California Institution for Men. And... 16 people, which is a lot of people in a listening circle, and going through grief and loss, their own experiences, sort Mm -hmm. of grief and loss light, but um, they've been carrying it around for so long. Nobody Mm -hmm. talks about grief and loss. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about Mm -hmm. why you feel angry sometimes, why depressed, all these stages and phases of grief and loss that uh, until you start talking about it and learning about it... um, everybody stays away from. So there is tremendous hunger in the prison to have that information brought in and talked with and talked about. And so um, that's what we're going to be taking on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're kind of hitting stuff and it just sounds like for a lot of our clients and Mm -hmm. people within the carceral system, it seems like a lot of them just haven't had the ability, time or training or upbringing to, to learn a lot of things that should be taught or, mm-hmm. or would help in the development of a young person. Yes. Um, experiencing grief and loss, mm-hmm. you know, social, emotional um, learning, mm-hmm. um, a lot of things that um, should and can be taught at a younger age, which would help us develop. Um, and it, just kind of what you're saying, <coughs> I'm just noticing like that seems to be a, what's missing. And if we really want to address the, you know, this, um, prison pipeline Mm -hmm. um you know we have to address it at a younger age yes um which is really funny because but uh, not in a funny way but 
I, more of an ironic, ironic way mm-hmm. is I remember this is my couple months ago and how they used to develop and build prisons was based off a of fifth grader reading level. Yeah, if it was below right. a, a percentage, they knew, you know, these individuals had a percentage, a great percentage chance of landing in the carceral mm-hmm. system. So rather than addressing those needs, they decided, well, we know in 10 years they're going to be in the system. So let's build a system and get right. it ready for them when they're ready, when they, you know, Become cause adults. harm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I find that, I mean, that's so fascinating. I feel like we could talk about this forever. Mm-hmm. And I know prepping and talking about, you know, we had a lot of different topics that we could have went down, but I think I'm, I'm glad we went this way. And before we go a different direction, because I feel like we will add another, you know, 20 minutes just going somewhere else. Um, I kind of, I, I just want to sit here a little bit longer. And for those who are new to the carceral system, because a lot of times for our community, not, not our community, but, you know, the public as a whole, the carceral system is like, you know, a distant, you know, off place that mm-hmm. we don't really see and know. Um, for those who are listening, what's something that you would want to bring to attention and that they might not really realize about a lot of individuals who are in the carceral system do how they act. And if they are very similar to who we are, we're just the differences that they had a mistake that was caught yes. and now they are behind mm-hmm. bars. I think the first thing that I really noticed is that there's so many media stereotypes about mm. prison and mm-hmm. it's always, there's the violence and drama, you know, bad drama building. Walking into the prison, onto a prison yard and into a classroom, it's like, these are just people. Mm. They are people who made mistakes and people who are, in there supposedly for rehabilitation. But the system has been so punitive for so long that the punitiveness has warped what's mm. what happens. But there are many, many people who are working to do better with their lives. Mm-hmm. To um, They find faith in a variety of faith contexts mm-hmm. and practice their faith. They make friendships, mm-hmm. and those friendships are solid and they last for life. They learn things and... They're, what's different that I, frankly, I really like is that anybody in classes that I've encountered, they're pretty grateful for the classes. Mm-hmm. They're unlike people in school and college here mm-hmm. uh, where there's some, there are some people who either are not very interested um, or just like they're still finding themselves and college is not really the right thing for them or school is not the right thing for them. Something else mm. should be happening to bring them along so that part of them at least can be educated and maturing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the thing that I find most mm. fascinating about it. Wow. Yeah. No, that's really good. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing that, Nora. And for those who are listening, whether you're a youth, a parent, youth workers that want to know more of what we're doing for and how we care for youth uh, and their families after um, they are impacted by the carceral system, reach out to us. Um, you can reach out to us at info at ju4y.org, and I can get you connected to Nora, and just <laughs> she can share that information with you. And you know, if you're interested and, and want to learn more on how to support this area, we, we can help you there as well. So thank you so much for tuning in um, this week to the Life in the Urban City podcast. And we'll see you guys next time. Have a Thanks, good- everybody. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Nora. Yep.